Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, a piece-by-piece, episode-by-episode exploration of the winners of the Pulitzer Prize in Music, with hosts Andrew Grenade and David Thurmeyer. Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, episode 23, where we're traveling to 1965 and what should have been the 21st winner of the Pulitzer Prize in Music. And Andrew, this is becoming a, a theme here. No winners. Two times in a row. It's a, farce. a, row. It's two a times in a row. <laughs> I know. What is going on here? We're supposed to have had a winner, uh, and we didn't get one, and we got a scandal. We had resignations. This is the episode we've been waiting for, in a way. This is kind of the pivot, I think. Everything's going to change after this episode. This is a moment where the good old boys club led by Chalmers Clifton is finally going to go away. <laughs> yep. And changes are going to have to happen. And I think every decade we're going to see massive shifts. This is the first one. There'll be one in like 1976. There'll be one in the early 80s, the 1990s. Every, every decade there's going to be some massive shift leading to where we are here today in the 21st century where the Pulitzer looks very different than it did all the way back at a secular cantata from William Schumann. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That, that work would never win today. No way. No way. And leave it to the mid-60s for something like this to happen, because the 60s, everybody knows, were a very transformational decade in American history. And, and right around this time is when things started to really start bubbling up in terms of the Vietnam War, racial uh, unrest, uh, drugs, counterculture, all these things happening. And so it's not a surprise that you look at William Schumann and then you look at what's happening 20 years later and it's a, a totally different landscape and a totally different world. Uh, so also something that I want to talk about here is maybe one of the problems is that now the, the definition of the Pulitzer as you were getting out a little bit is different. If we think back to what well, in the original version, it was, it was genre based, right? You had the it's this is given to a, a, a opera, symphonic work, something very distinguished, uh, like a distinguished type of concert music. And as we get to 1965, we're finding that the genre is blurring a little bit, and yeah. you're not seeing the same old types of forms and and pieces that you used to have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything is everything is really being transformed. And your connection to the time, the 1965 and the mid-1960s, what's going on, I think is exactly exactly what we have to focus on and see because that transformation culturally is, of course, going to bleed into the transformation that's going to happen on the Pulitzer board. And this fight that we're seeing between the music jury and the Pulitzer board, in many ways, mirror that kind of cultural conversation that was happening I mean, 1965 is the year the Voting Rights Act is passed. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, as we're going to see with the outcome of this year of 1965's Music Jury, is in some ways a referendum on race and the place that race has in American music. That is very clearly a part of the conversation that's happening in the Pulitzer from 1965 in the music category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, where do you want to begin on this one? We, we, we won't have our usual segments because we don't have any music to talk about but in this way we we could start with the let's talk with what actually happened yeah okay so let's just get the facts on the table and then we can talk about what we see as the implications of those facts 
because there should have been a winner in 65. If you remember from last episode, 64 was a horrible mess. <laughs> there <laughs> yes. was no prize in fiction and drama and music. Mm-hmm. And so they actually expanded the time frame and said, we'll put more months. So it's not just the, the, the year. They actually had a month added on. So there's even more possibility of a winner for 1965. And there still was not a winner. Right. You would think so. And so the jury report, we'll start with the jury report, which was from April 7th, 1965. And so it's from Winthrop Sargent, who was a uh, newspaper reporter, I think, or a critic. And he's writing to Mr. Hohenberg, the head of the Pulitzer board. Enclosed is a requested report on the music committee's reasons for not recommending an award to any new composition this year. All right. Already, this is a problem here. Already. Yep. Started. It doesn't but start well. It doesn't start well. This report ends with a recommendation of an award of special nature to Duke Ellington, a longtime serious composer in the jazz field. Okay. Well, that that's pretty clear. Sounds good. And special citations were a thing. Yes. Yes. So this was not something they were making up. Um by 1965, there had been 20 special citations that had been issued in the various prizes. So this was not something new. There just hadn't been one in music yet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so the, we have the jury reports, and there were the two uh, jurors here. We have Ronald Iyer and then uh, Winthrop Sargent, the aforementioned, who both laid out their reasons very carefully about why they did not find a suitable winner in the concert music or the, the classical music field. And reading from Ronald Iyer's uh, report here, he says, you know, uh, the winner should not represent merely the best of the season's crop, however mediocre it might be intrinsically. The winner, therefore, would have to have a demonstrably higher value of its own without, relev- without relation to anything else to be chosen. This eliminate, immediately eliminated a large percentage of new works. Inconclusive and frankly experimental music could not be considered, nor was it sufficient for a composition to show good craftsmanship, talent, or promise from the field, from the future. So there's already a couple things in there that I know you have think a <laughs> lot about here with your experimental mm-hmm. interest in music. Uh, so in, in other words, what he's saying is there's not any great concert works of a traditional sense. And then the, maybe the more interesting works can't be considered because they're too experimental or unfinished or not really of the same category. Is that kind of what you're, how you read that? That's kind of what I'm reading also, which just drives me a little bit crazy as I'm (laughs) sure you can imagine. Yeah. Because 1965, this is a huge year for... Uh, really important. I mean, 64 was as well. 65 is. This is the year that Steve Reich really breaks through. That's going to rain. Kind of pivotal work in terms of the development of American music. Can't talk about that for some reason. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> if you want to look at even conservative works of that year, this is the year of the Chichester Psalms by Leonard mm. Bernstein. His second symphony, the Age of Anxiety Symphony, is this year. Uh, we can go back to Elliot Carter, who's won before, but his piano concerto was this year. We can go into the world of band music, which you know is a new interest of mine in terms of my research. Variations on a Korean folk song, which oh, yeah, everyone knows classic. by John Barnes' chances this yes. year. There's a lot of really consequential music from 1965 that was completely ignored by this jury. 
Now, Ronald Iyer does continue to, to point out a couple additional works that I've never heard of, and I don't know, I'm guessing you probably haven't either. Much of the music in many of the composers we consider during the season fall within these definitions with good skill, blah, blah, blah. The operas, Natalia Petrovna by Lee Hoiby and Lizzie Borden by Jack Beeson and Concerto for String Quartet and Orchestra by Benjamin Lees were typical examples, all showed solid workmanship and no small degree of talent. But later on, we did not find a work that measured up. Well, I would agree that those works, I mean, those composers show solid craftsmanship. (laughs) But actually, if we go back to the 1950s and some of the awards in the 1950s, I don't see that they're that different than who they were awarding in the 1950s. They're part of the kind of old boys club Mm -hmm. of the Northeast of America, Mm -hmm. composing music that's kind of straight down the middle, white bread, you know, American music. So it surprises me that they would look with disdain on those pieces and not see them as worthy when a jury 10 years earlier probably would have embraced one of those with no problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in, in Winthrop Sargent's letter, he concurs. So he says a few, now you'll like this one. This is, this is for Andrew here. A few weeks ago, a cellist composer named Charlotte Neerman gave a concert in which she played the cello, shot off a pistol and dived fully clothed into a tank of water. This, <laughs> This all before a small audience. There is a great deal of this sort of thing going on. And in our preliminary meeting, Mr. Iyer, Mr. Sherman, and myself decided that such things should be eliminated for competition for the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> uh, I'm curious about that piece, though. I'd like to take I'm a look at I'm very curious about that piece, too. Yeah, take a look but at this, that one. But this conservatism is something that we've encountered. Oh, yeah. You know, in the, the 20 awards that we've looked at so far. Mm-hmm. And actually, in reviewing this whole catastrophe, um, Harold Schoenberg in the New York Times pointed this very thing out, how conservative the jury was, talking about how, um, this is what he said, this was an article that was published on May 4th, 1965, in the New York Times. He says, um, talking about all the avant-garde, he says, obviously the Pulitzer jury does not think much of that activity. <laughs> and, Clearly Obvi- not from what you were just saying. Obviously. <laughs> he said it may be this jury is reflecting the general taste of contemporary America, uh, contemporary audiences and not only for America, for by and large, the busy avant-garde in music has only made a small impact on audiences. But even the pieces they've selected over the past 20 years, most of them have made small impacts Very. on audiences. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's a fascinating argument that they're making, just trying to shore up the music that they already appreciate which in many ways was falling by the wayside when we get to the 1960s. It was not really part of the conversation the way it was when, say, Aaron Copeland won for Appalachian Spring. Exactly. And that's confirmed by what what Sargent says. We were looking for a composition of distinct intrinsic merit, something capable of giving pleasure or experience to an average symphonic or operatic audience. So they're looking there. They've clearly got something in mind of what a Pulitzer Prize winner is. And, and it's symphonic. It's yes, operatic, it's operatic. Which is what they've done the past 20 years. Very yes. rarely have we seen something that is not a symphony or an opera win the Pulitzer Prize. Right. And it's going to rain, ain't it? That's it's never going to win. <laughs> never going to win. So, so you have this and then they, but they decided to their credit not to just let it go. And I think this is where the, the interesting part really comes in. So we've, so far we've got, 
a, a jury that doesn't agree on a piece, but they're not going to just let it go. Instead, they decide to recognize Duke Ellington for his 40 plus years by that point of contributions to American music, which would have been the first recognition of jazz at, as being a legitimate form in the Pulitzer Prize competition. It would have uh, transformed that that award. Yes, yes, exactly. And both Sargent and Iyer were very complimentary to Ellington. They, it, they, it was not a, a talking down or condescending like, oh, well, this is sort of music or blah, blah, blah. Uh, just to, to quote here, uh, Edward K., quote, Duke Ellington, who, <laughs> in our opinion, is one of the most distinguished musicians active in this country and has over a period of nearly 40 years, made an incalculable contribution to contemporary music in both popular and so-called serious fields here and throughout the world. So that that's good. I think that's, that's a really positive. It to their credit yeah. that they point out. I mean, Duke Ellington could have won the award 20 years earlier, but well, sure. yeah. <laughs> they do recognize, and it is something that in 1965 that these um, very much associated kind of with musical academia or... The musical press, right? We have a critic that they're recognizing the impact of Duke Ellington and the talent of Duke Ellington, and saying instead of just awarding a specific piece, let's just recognize the body of work that this man has produced. Mm-hmm. And of course, being jazz too. Now, the, exactly. in the the original conception of the Pulitzer Prize, jazz not a lot of jazz operas or a lot of jazz symphonies, so probably not going to win. Uh, and so that we now have this conflict in a way, kind of a, a point of, hmm, what's going to happen? So these two, the, the committee sends forward the recommendation to give Duke Ellington a special commendation. And what happens? Well, the... They decide not to go with that recommendation. <laughs> exactly. So the, the Pulitzer board, remember, this is not the music committee. This is the Pulitzer board rejects that recommendation and it spurred a resignation of the committee members of Iyer and Sargent who wrote a very uh you could say, I think they're kind of gritting their teeth here re- yeah. saying this here uh they said dear gentlemen that's always a good way to start too we feel that we gave you the best advice in regard to a Pulitzer Prize in music of which we, with our years of experience as music critics and journalists, were capable. And so they talk about how they couldn't find a piece. We didn't recommend a composer. But then he talks about Duke Ellington. You have given, as Andrew said, such 20 such special citations in the past, yet you saw fit to ignore this recommendation and seemingly is your right without any plausible explanation either to us, to Mr. Ellington, or the public. We find our position therefore untenable and an attack upon us in the public prints by an anonymous member of your body as a, quote, craven goddamn jury intolerable. We hereby submit our resignations as members of the Pulitzer Prize jury and disassociate ourselves from any action taken by you in this matter. Signed, Ronald Iyer and Winthrop Sargent. But there's something wow. in there that I think is key is this played out in the press. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this was a battle that went on in the public, which before now, I mean, I don't know how much we've talked about this on the podcast, but the members of the jury were not known. No, that's right. That's they right. were private. So here we have the members of the jury basically outing themselves, saying, we did this, this is what we think is important, 
members of the Pulitzer board, calling them a craven jury. I mean, <laughs> this is the Pretty gloves bad. are off. The yes. genteel mid-century America is gone, and they are fighting mad at each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how how do we interpret this? So you have you you know, like you said, it was in the New York Times and was in was described. So you know, looking at things now, how do we interpret? Well, before we get to that, actually, we should say Duke Ellington had a had a funny comment about it. There's a great essay by Howard Reich, who was the uh, I don't know if he still is, but he was the jazz writer for the Chicago Tribune. But he talked wrote an article about Wynton Marsalis, who was the first mm-hmm. official winner of the Pulitzer Prize, who was a jazz musician. Not until 1997. Ninety, yes, and like you said, I'm just thinking about what you said of. What if Duke Ellington had won back, gotten this thing in 1965, how that would have opened up other music? But he, uh, Reich says, When the Pulitzer Prize board dis- declined to give Ellington the honor, jury members resigned, as I mentioned. Ellington mar- masked his disappointment in irony. Quote, Since I am not too chronically masochistic, I found no pleasure in all the suffering that was being endured. I realized that it could have been most distressing as I tried to qualify my first reaction. Fate is being very kind to me. Fate doesn't want me to be too famous, too young. So, <laughs> he was 66, 66 at the time. Yeah. Duke Ellington. That's just a wonderful, it's a great wonderful quote. quote. Yeah. And it must have been, I mean, if this had not appeared in the public, Ellington would have never known. Right, right. But the fact that it became public, just I can't imagine for him what that felt like to to know that he was recommended and the board said no. But in some ways, if you look at what the board was going off of, the description of the award, let's go back to our very first episode. Mm-hmm. When they, they inaugurated the award, 1943, this is what they said. The Pulitzer was for a distinguished musical composition by any American in any of the larger forms, including chamber, orchestral, choral, opera, song, dance, or other forms of musical theater, which has had its first performance in the United States during the year. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, it is hard to say that a jazz piece could be awarded. And Ellington went on to say, so he was uh, interviewed in New York Times Magazine. So a piece called This Cat Needs No Music Pulitzer Prize, <laughs> which is really great. That's a great title. Said, I'm hardly surprised that my kind of music is still without, let us say, official honor at home. Most Americans still take it for granted that European music, classical music, if you will, is the only really respectable kind. I remember, for example, when Franklin Roosevelt died, practically no American music was played on the air in tribute to him. By and large, then as now, jazz was like the kind of man you wouldn't want your daughter to associate with. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) And that's pretty true. I mean, the Pulitzer is not set up to award jazz. Now, could they have changed? Of course, the Pulitzer board could have changed that award language and said, we're opening this up. Yeah. But they chose not to. And this, that is the key. That is, it is the key, and that this is it perpetuates that the stodgy, the stodgy view of the Pulitzer of the award as being for only a certain type of, and now we could say academic music because a lot of right. these composers were really academics, so it really remote from American culture in a way, kind of more ivory tower pieces, and. Someone like Duke Ellington was not. He was in the clubs. He was in regular classical venues. He was all over the place, everywhere around the country, in the world. So right. he would be, would have been a different different kind of person. Uh, yeah, and 
in effect, this would be the first of several changes that would be coming. We can see that something happens here in this year. And later on, as we get closer to the end of the 70s and into the 80s, uh, we'll start to, the board will be comprised of more uh, diverse background people. It won't just be only academics. We'll start to see some jazz musicians, some other people with different backgrounds too. So, Well, I think that's the key is that I think the Pulitzer board, because this was so public, decided to take action in who was in the jury. So the jury, if you think about it, under Chalmers Clifton, had free reign <laughs> to do whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. They were never questioned because most of the people who are on the Pulitzer board are coming from a print, a, a word, an English, a journalist, some some aspect that is not about the performing arts. Right. And so they assumed the jury would be able to do their job and they would take that at face value. But what's going to happen is that that relationship between the board and the jury is going to change drastically. And like you say, who is on the jury is going to start to change drastically. And pretty soon we're going to start to see a big change in knowing who's on the jury. If you go now to the Pulitzer website, you can see who's on the jury every year. Mm-hmm. And also, not just the winner, but the finalists are also going to be announced. They're trying to make they're trying to make it more transparent and make the jury more responsive to what the board wants to see. And it's going to be fascinating to watch that change happen over the next really two decades yeah. of awards. Right, right. How much of it do you think was the fact that even though Duke Ellington wrote music in a traditional way on music paper, uh, that there's that a lot of this music is, there's a lot of improv, improvisation in jazz. And maybe there's still a belief that that's not considered legitimate because it's not it's all not composition. It's not composition. Right. Right. It's performance. It is seen as less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely true. Um, it's absolutely seen as less. I think there also is, I mean, going back to what we were talking about with the civil rights, I think there is a racial basis in it. Um, of who can create music, just like there's a gender basis of who can mm. create music. We haven't seen a woman be nominated yet. Right. I mean, all right. those all those issues, I think, are bubbling up and are going to start coming to a head as we move to the 1960s. And there's begins to be a change and a push for uh, more diversity in understanding what actually makes up American music, that American music is not an import from Europe, mm-hmm. but there is an American music that we can kind of focus on. And we haven't seen that. I mean, Charles E. Ives, obviously, is a, <laughs> an American original. But yeah. a lot of the people who have won over the past 20 years of awards that we've been looking at have been, they could have won an award if they were composing in Germany. Exactly. They're American in name. They're American uh, in name. Not in musical spirit. I, mean, I guess there are yeah, a few exceptions like Copeland and Ives. But even even there, I mean, Ives is writing a symphony and kind of you know traditional chamber orchestra. So right. it's it's still there, but that it does sort of exclude a lot of what American music is, which is a much bigger, broader, more rich and diverse palette to draw from. So right. now it's still going to be a while. So it, it, don't it's think a slow this is change. It's, just, it's not going to happen in the next two or three years. We still have a ways to go, but uh, things will start to loosen and, and bring in uh, other voices soon. And but, yeah. other composers were seeing this and wanting this and were kind of shocked. So as we end, go back to our good friend Virgil Thompson, a former mm-hmm. Pulitzer winner. Yes. Who was, of course, an influential critic, an influential voice in American music. 
And he went into the press and just kind of lambasted the Pulitzer board saying, or even the jury, I can't believe you couldn't find a single piece in 12 <laughs> months that was worthy of a Pulitzer. He, he was just shocked. And I think a lot of musicians felt that it wasn't just the Pulitzer board, but also the music jury. Everyone was acting in bad faith. Mm-hmm. That putting Duke Ellington in there was a great idea, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of great music that should have been considered. And they needed mm. to cast their net more widely. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, so it's the nobleness of Duke Ellington. That's great. We all would support that. But are they just kind of shirking their duties in a way by having such a narrow conception of what the uh, exactly. music, what the, the what a prize-winning piece should be anyway, that they just kind of said, well, fine, we don't like any th- these things, so we're just going to make a different recommendation. Hmm. Not good. Not good. I, I think two years in a row of no winners and then a, a controversy that played out in the press here. And it's uh, some some bad press. But so much like I think we've, the theme of this has been it's it's reflecting also the societal changes and reflecting exactly. a lot of the, the growth and fits and starts that are happening in American society as well. So not surprised in a way. That no, that's happen. one of the things that I think attracted us to doing this examination of the Pulitzer was how we could see societal changes reflected in what awards were given. And we're starting to see that really happen, that we're moving out of the kind of old boys club that we've been <laughs> sitting in for so long as members of the Chalmers Clifton fan club. <laughs> yes, we are. We're, we're charter we're members moving, in, <laughs> moving into a new direction as we move past 1965. And we're going to see some really in the next 15 years, some radical changes and what's awarded and who's on the jury and what voices are let in. And it's going to be a continual evolution. But like we said earlier, it's going to take 22 years until a jazz piece can finally be awarded. And it's going to be a few years after that before they even take away the idea that it has to be a written score that you can be awarded just on a recording. And that, that may be good or bad. We'll talk about that we'll when we get there. That. That's, that, a, that's a, yeah. a big change. Yeah. So we talk about these these ideas that we discussed when we started this podcast that we're ready to get to. Sixty five was one of them. Yep. That's another yep. one that that moved from printed notation to just an oral document uh, mm-hmm. to be considered for the Pulitzer. Yeah. So, well, that that does it. That's uh, it's a lot of uh, things to think about here, but uh, we'll and a lot of ideas that I think we'll be following up on in the coming weeks. Absolutely. But that's it for this episode of hearing the Pulitzers. As always, you can find more about this project at our website, hearingthepulitzers.com, where you'll also find links and a short bibliography where you can read more about Duke Ellington, the first non-winner of a special commendation for the Pulitzer. I don't know how to talk about Duke Ellington, what happened here, but you should read more about him and listen to his music. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at HPulitzers for links and trivia between the episodes. And then finally, join us for the next episode, where we'll finally be talking about music again, but this time, Variations for Orchestra by Leslie Bassett. Until then, keep listening.